Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Um, it's really great to see everyone here today. Uh, my name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here. Those of you who are joining online, thanks for, thanks for being with us. Uh, this past weekend was really full here. Uh, yesterday, we had a game night bonanza, which was uh, just a ton of fun. And I wanted to congratulate our singles winner, Edwin. Uh, our, yeah, Edwin, all right. Our uh, doubles winners, uh, Daniel and Alice, give them a hand. And our Mario Kart champion, Caleb Chow. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> and uh, my takeaway from last night was that if you want to be a ping pong champ, you got to wear a really sweet headband. Uh, so those of you guys who missed it, Edwin has a really sweet headband. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just really grateful for that time because it has been a very heavy week, hasn't it been, right? And just, I'm just so grateful that we could pray for Ukraine um, and to pray for the vulnerable. And uh, that leads me that before we, you know, dive into today's message, I did want to address something briefly. Uh, in the midst of a lot of heavy news, um, there was also something that came out locally um, that has bearing upon trans youth. Um, so you may or may not have missed it, but um, the state attorney general and the governor's office issued some opinions and statements uh, that relate to the care of trans youth, their families, and caregivers. Um, and, uh, you know, I know this wades into some really hot political waters, uh, and my intention in bringing it up is not to necessarily debate, you know, the pros and cons of certain uh, specific policy positions. Um, I really do believe that Christians, followers of Jesus, can in good faith have differences of opinion about what constitutes good care, right? And those are things we should think uh, diligently and compassionately about. But, um, yeah, as... As I was thinking about these things, as I was talking to members of our staff team, um, I did feel led to address the fact that this community, right, this vulnerable community, uh, is at pain and uh, wounded from the events of this past week. And what became really clear to me as you know, we were talking and as we were praying, um, it's just that, uh, yeah, I just had this sense that Jesus wants them to know that they are deeply loved, that he loves them, right? I mean, just such a, a simple message, but sometimes I can get um, missed, sometimes I can get confused. And, uh, you know, we were praying for the vulnerable children of Ukraine, and it is a fact that this is a very vulnerable community. Um, I was just reading uh, the other day that uh, in a recent nationwide survey of trans and non-binary youth, over 50% of them admitted to seriously considering ending their lives, right? The suicide rate among trans and non-binary youth is disproportionately high. And so, yeah, what I just, you know, we want to, what we want to do, what I want to do is just to, to say unequivocally that trans youth are deeply loved by God, right? They are our students, they are our friends, our kin, our children, and most of all, they are made in the image of God. So that's why this matters to us. That's why we talk about these things. Um, and uh, may we, as followers of Jesus, as we talk about following Jesus into his mission, right? That is a mission guided by love for God and love for neighbor, right? And so um, let's take a moment to pray as we uh, begin our time today. God, thank you so much for the gift of being able to gather like this. 
we're reminded this is a privilege and that our, our, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, they are under the throne. Yeah, it, it's, just, it's just kind of mind-boggling. But Lord, thank you for the gift that we can gather here today to pray in one name to you. Um, and so we pray on behalf of trans youth and their families that God, those who are wondering if they belong, if they are loved, that you would speak to them and they would know that you love them. And we pray for uh, our political leaders that, God, you would give them wisdom, compassion, and insight to create policies that are just and helpful. And we pray that we, your church, as we follow you, that you would expand our capacity to love. Lord, help us to hear your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ooh, lots of intense things, huh? All right, so I'm going to go a little bit lighter, right? That, that might help. Uh, so uh, I asked a question about risk, right? Um, and so when it comes to risk, I would say I'm kind of somewhere in between. I'm someone that will take calculated risks. Um, so, for example, I will jump out of a plane uh, with a parachute, um, but only after I thoroughly research the outfitter to make sure that they're trustworthy and above board. Uh, I remember when I asked Grace, that told her that I liked her and I wanted to pursue a relationship with her, I said to her, you know, Grace, I'm going to take a big risk here and go out on a limb. But inwardly, I was pretty hopeful that she would respond positively. Uh, and she did, she did, sort of. Um, that's another story for another time. Uh, during COVID, I've, I've flown several times, uh, but I always don my N95 mask. And when I drink water, I hold my breath, okay? So I take calculated risks. All of us have different levels of risk, to be sure. Um, and in many ways, like these last couple of years have just been this like steady stream of risk assessment and risk calculations, haven't they? And uh, I just imagine for many of us, it's just been exhausting. It's been really tiring. The story that we're going to look at today uh, focuses on someone who I would say had a fairly high level of risk to tolerance. Um, so last week, Pastor Ted uh, began a new series called The Formation of a Missional Leader. And in this series, we're, we're tracing some of the significant milestones of a guy named Peter, uh, who was one of the first followers of Jesus and who would become one of the most influential figures in the early church. Uh, I love the phrase you used, uh, Ted, last week about the steadfast love of God. And so we're going to see how the steadfast love of God in Peter's highs and in his lows, and he had many of these, uh, inspired him to continue to live his life with God. And how ultimately it led him to live his life in such a way where he followed God into God's redemptive work in the world. It inspired him to live his life with God in mission. And so we hope that this series uh, likewise inspires each of us here to live our life with him faithfully through the ups and downs and empowers us on mission, which is one of our vision points that we're focusing on 
in this series. So let's dive into today's story from Matthew 14. I love this story. I hope you do too. Okay, so they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking, walking on the lake. Oh, okay. There we go. Walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And the disciples and Jesus spent the rest of the afternoon doing cannonballs into the water. <laughs> that would be awesome, right? They did that. Um, so I, I totally get a kick every time I read this story because it's just full of so many ironies throughout this story. Uh, so I just want to walk through it a little bit together. Um, so first you'll notice that this event is preceded by another miraculous event, the feeding of the 5,000. So this was when a large crowd, 5,000 plus people, had gathered to hear Jesus teach. And after many days, they had grown hungry. But Jesus, instead of sending them away to get something to eat, he tells his disciples, hey, let's feed them. And they're like, what? How? Well, he takes a few fish and bread from this boy, and then he multiplies it over and over again, and he feeds the entire crowd. Uh, it's like the miracle of a lifetime. It's truly astounding. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you've likely heard this story and many others countless times. And I think one of the pitfalls of the repetition uh, is that it can, help, it can cause us to lose some of that wow factor, right? But I was thinking about if I were to like place myself in the shoes of these early followers of Jesus and in their time, it would just be like my mind would just constantly keep getting blown over and over again as I saw Jesus do these things that I had never seen anyone do before, let alone have someone do all of them in succession, um, so it started last week when Jesus called Peter, James, and John to follow him. And like Ted talked about last week, Peter and his friends, they had been fishing all night long. They hadn't caught a thing. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and says, put your nets back into the water. And they're like, really? And then they do it. And then their nets are filled with fish. I mean, it's just brimming. Their nets are about to break. And they're just like, who is this God? Who is this man? And Peter is literally just unraveled by this encounter. Um, so they leave everything. 
behind, and they begin to follow this Jesus. And uh, he heals people, like heals people with really severe chronic diseases. He just instantly heals them. And then he, he teaches with uh, just profound insight and authority. And they're like, wow, how does this man uh, know these things? Uh, and there's, another, there's another time. Um, they're, in an, they're in a boat as well. And there's a storm that kind of uh, surrounds their boat. Uh, and uh, the storm gets really bad. They actually, the disciples are in this boat. They think they're going to die, that the boat is going to capsize. And then all along, Jesus is like in the back of the boat, fast asleep. And so they like, they find Jesus and they're like, they wake him up and they're like, Jesus, wake up, wake up. And like, he's like, Jesus wakes up. He's kind of like groggy. He's like, yo, man, why are you guys tripping? And then he just, he just like calms the sea and storms. And, and again, they're just, they're just blown away. In fact, the text says they were amazed saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So they've never met anyone like this. They've never seen anyone do these things, let alone all of these things. And so here they are in Matthew chapter 14, okay? They've just fed a ton of people miraculously, and Jesus sends away these 12 disciples away on a boat because uh, he's going to go do it. He's going to take some time to pray and be by himself alone. And so there you see Jesus practicing good self-care. So we, we, would be, we would be wise to note the example that Jesus sends. But he sends them away, and he's going to go off to pray. Uh, and the, the disciples are in the boat. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, even though they must have been so dog-tired from all this, like, amazing activity that they've been doing, uh, they must have also been just completely, like, jazzed and on fire. And so they're off in the boat, and they're just, like, recounting what has happened. Like, oh, my gosh, that was crazy. We just, like, fed all these people. How amazing is that? And they're just going back and forth, recounting all these things. Um, but then several hours pass away, and Jesus passed by, and Jesus still hasn't returned. Right? So the text says that they set out sometime in the evening, and now it's early morning, and Jesus still hasn't come back. So they're just waiting. They're just kind of chilling and hanging out, okay? <laughs> and then, uh, oh, yeah, I was just thinking, like, so they're just waiting. They're getting kind of bored. And um, I, can, I can kind of see, like, Peter taking chunks of the leftover bread and, like, start chucking it at, like, the other disciples. I'm like, man, Peter, knock it off, man. But then as they're waiting, I just imagine, like, Thomas looks out into, like, the fog, and he, like, rubs his eyes, and he nudges Judas and Philip, and they're like, what? What the? And then soon all of them are looking, and they see a figure of a man coming towards them. But it's not swimming. It's not in a boat or a raft. It appears to be walking on the water, and it's coming towards them. And as they see this, they begin to freak out out. I mean, these are grown men. These are like rough and tumble fishermen, and they're just scared out of their brains. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. And not just like a Casper, the friendly kind of ghost. Like, 
a ghoulish, undead, like, keeper of the dark seas, revengeful ghost. So they're just terrified. Why? Because they had never seen anyone do something like this. Up to this point, Jesus had never walked on water. They did not expect Jesus to come to them walking on water. They weren't expecting it. And I find this extremely interesting. Because here was Jesus in the flesh. In the flesh. And they didn't recognize him. In fact, they thought that the person coming towards him was the exact opposite of everything that Jesus represented. And so it makes me wonder, do we ever fail to Jesus come? we ever fail to see Jesus coming to us because he's coming to us in unexpected ways? Do we ever fail to see Jesus coming to us because he's coming to us in unexpected ways? So Jesus calls out, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus is so kind here. Because if it were me, I'd probably like taunt them a little bit longer, maybe let out like a ghoulish laugh. But he doesn't do that. He says, guys, it's me. Take heart. Take courage. Don't be afraid. It's me. I'm right here. Are there any unexpected situations in which you find yourself and you think, Jesus isn't here. I'm all alone. I'm all alone right now. And in the midst of that space, Jesus is in fact saying to you, don't be afraid. Take heart. It's me. I'm here. I'm here. Well, who knows if the other disciples immediately believed what Jesus said or were a little bit more unsure. We don't know. Because right after Jesus says that, our good old friend Peter springs into action. So remember what we said about the risk tolerance? Uh, so, you know, if it were me, I would have waited a little bit longer. I'd try to get a better look at this mysterious figure. I might want to test out by throwing a chunk of bread at it to see if it was actually physical or not, right? Uh, but no, not Peter. He tells this figure, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Uh, they say that truth is stranger than fiction, and this is, this is a really good example of that. Uh, because I'm just thinking, who would, who would think to say that, right? Who would do this? Apparently, Peter would, the great risk taker, the one who acts first and then thinks later. But as I thought about it a little bit more, I wondered if what Peter did was actually as crazy as it might initially appear. Because Peter adds a really important statement at the beginning. If it is you. If it is you. And that small little phrase is loaded, loaded with more meaning than it initially appears. Because you remember last week when Jesus told Peter to cast his nets again after just hours, they had fished all night, they hadn't caught a thing. What did Peter say? He said to you, Master, 
he said to Jesus, Master, we've worked, we've worked all night long. We haven't caught a thing. But if you say so, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. You see, in this moment, I believe that Peter did some really quick and intuitive calculations. If it's really Jesus, he can tell me to come out of the water and come to him. If it's really Jesus, I can go to him right now. Because after all, by this time, Peter had seen Jesus show power over the elements and over weather. He had seen Jesus show power over sustenance, over bread and water. He had seen Jesus show power over the human body, over severe illness and sickness. Now, let's be real. Uh, most people still wouldn't have done what Peter did. There were 12 disciples, and only, um, you know, only Peter was the only one that did this, right? The rest of the 11 stayed in the boat. But still, it's not as crazy as it initially seems. And so Jesus says, all right, come. Come. Come be with me. Come follow me. And it's reminiscent of all the ways and throughout the Gospels, Jesus just invites people to come, follow me. Such a loving yet challenging invitation. Come, be with me. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking towards Jesus. So Peter becomes the second person in history to walk on water. And the other disciples are just amazed. Maybe they're a little bit jealous. Jesus is probably smiling, but not for long because <laughs> Jesus' smile kind of turns into a little frown. And the disciples go from amazement to worry because uh, all of a sudden Peter isn't walking anymore. He's starting to sink because everything was fine as Jesus kept his gaze fixed firmly on Christ. But then he starts to look at the wind and the waves and he freaks out and he starts to sink. And so he calls out, Jesus, save me. And instantly Jesus reaches out his hand and saves him. Uh, and in that moment, uh, as he's safe and secure in Jesus' arms, Jesus provides a little bit of coaching. And he says to Peter, hey, Peter, you have little faith. Why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? You were doing so well. Why'd you doubt? And I bet the, the disciples were initially thinking, man, I wish I got into the water like Peter did. And then now they're thinking, like, oh, I'm glad I just stayed, you know, stayed in the boat, right? And the text says after this whole, you know, amazing encounter, they were in the boat and they just, they just worshipped Jesus, uh, as they should have. This is just an amazing encounter. And so what does this incredible story have to say to us today? Namely this, that at the heart of being a follower of Jesus is faith. But not blind faith. Not faith that just grabs any old bag and jumps out the, you know, out, out, out the plane. A lot of times we confuse faith with blind faith. And in fact, biblical faith is very different than blind faith. Biblical faith is about trusting. About trusting in someone. Trusting in someone because they've proved themselves to be trustworthy. That's a huge, huge difference. Peter took a risk 
for sure. But friends, it wasn't blind faith. He had been with Jesus long enough to know that this guy was different. Yeah, he was powerful to boot. But more importantly, he was kind. He was compassionate. He loved them. And if necessary, he would save them. Peter didn't know at this point that Jesus was going to the cross. But we know that. We know that. So friends, trust or faith. When someone invites you to have faith in God, it is not blind faith. They're inviting you to place your trust in someone who is infinitely trustworthy. Amen. And so Peter also demonstrates to us that trusting in God means moving towards Jesus wherever he is in our lives, whether that's inside the boat or outside the boat. So remember earlier I mentioned that incident in Matthew 8 um, when Jesus was asleep in the boat. Um, And so in that instance in Matthew 8, the safest place was in the boat because that's where Jesus was. And so the disciples ran to him in the back of the boat. They woke him up and they asked him to save him, save them, and he did. In this instance, I think one could really make a good argument that the safest place wasn't in the boat. It was actually outside the boat because that's where Jesus was. And so in this way, Peter made the smartest decision. He's like, that's where Jesus is. That's where I want to be. Faith looked like moving towards Jesus outside the comfort and safety of the boat into the unexpected. When this pandemic started, uh, I don't think any of us knew what to expect. We didn't know how long or how severe everything would turn out. We didn't realize everything would become so politicized. And now almost two full years into this, the fact is we've all had to settle into new rhythms and ways of being. Two years is a long time. It's long enough for us to have created makeshift boats. We had to, right? We had to figure out new ways of operating in this world. So we created makeshift boats. And now these boats that maybe weren't intended to be lived in long term have become comfortable to us because they're familiar to us. And I think that Jesus might be actually saying to us, it's time. It's time to get out of these boats, to get out and into the water again, out of the safety and comfort of what you've kind of known and grown used to, and to step out because that's where I am. I want you to come to me. Some of us are facing situations, uh, circumstances, and opportunities that appear really scary that appear really frightening. Uh, And our hearts tell us, that's a ghost. Stay away. But in reality, God might actually be beckoning us into those spaces because God is present there. Because God is present there. Uh, Let me give you a couple examples of what that looks like. I was trying to think about what that looks like to me and what that might look like to you. Um, So I've long been an advocate of, uh, and proponent of counseling and therapy. 
I think that God can use these things in a person's life in a very, very powerful way as part of our spiritual formation. Um, and so I've shared in other contexts and here that uh, my wife and I have really benefited from couples therapy in our marriage. It's helped me to grow. It's helped us to grow. But I have never been to a therapist on my own, individually. Because somehow, in my mind, it's like easier to say, oh, like, we're going together because these are our issues that we want to deal with. But if I go by myself, it's just, I have to confront my own stuff, right? I have to confront my own junk. And that feels scary and really uncomfortable. And my autopilot is to avoid pain, right? Is to avoid those things that are uncomfortable and unscary. And so for a long time, I have avoided it, even though in the back of my mind, I knew that God was calling me to do that because I want to be a healthier person. I want to be a better husband and a better father and a better pastor. And doing that work will help that. But I have been hemming and hawing, and so God actually used a conversation in our midweek life group that just someone just bravely asked me, so John, are you going to do it? And I was like, okay, I'm going to. And then that next week, I, I scheduled an appointment. And for me, that's been one of those places where it seems scary, but Jesus is actually there inviting me into it. And I've had to step out of the boat, so to speak, to get uncomfortable. But I found Jesus has met me right there. Some of you might be facing a conflict or a disagreement with someone, and you just want to run away from it. You want to run away from that situation. Just cut it off. Sometimes that is the right move, right? Sometimes we have to create those healthy boundaries. Other times, it's more us just avoiding what is uncomfortable. And in fact, Jesus might actually be in that conflict, right? Inviting you to pursue truth-telling, humility, confession, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Do those things sound like the kingdom of God? Oh, they sure do, don't they? And so Jesus is often in those places that we just want to run away from, and he invites us into it. Perhaps you're facing a change in your family, maybe the addition of a little one that's just stressed out the system, right? It's rearranged things, and it's just a really difficult time. We're just hearing from many, many of our families and just in our church and outside. Just, it's just a very difficult time trying to juggle everything and you feel like you want to just disengage. And yet Jesus is right there. He's right there saying, hey, no, don't really come. Or maybe a, f- a family member, man, so many of us, including myself, we have loved ones and family members who are facing major health challenges. And uh, these things have a way of bringing out difficult things, don't they? Right? Family dynamics and cutoffs and issues and relational hurts that become very difficult. We might want to move away from that, and yet Jesus is there, and he's saying, hey, come, engage I'll be right there with you. And lastly, what does all this have to do with mission? Because we're talking about becoming a church, empowering people on mission. I'll say it has everything to do with mission. If you're reading along the Bible plan with us in the New Testament, we just recently read Matthew 25, where Jesus is separating the goats from the sheep, and he says to them, welcome, welcome, You who fed me, 
gave me clothes, sheltered me, and visited me in prison. And these sheep are like, wait, wait, when did we do that, Jesus? And he's like, whenever you did these things to the least of these, right, the vulnerable and forgotten ones, you did them to me. I was with them. I am with them. You did them to me. And he makes the same point in the reverse. The goats are like, when did we ever see you? When did we ever like, neglect you? And he's like, whenever you did not do it to one of these least of these, you did not do it to me. Jesus often invites us into unexpected places and spaces to love our neighbor when the very picture of our neighbor is different than what we might imagine. Jesus identifies with the vulnerable, the oppressed, the marginalized, and man, he calls us to do the same. And that is challenging, friends. That is a step of faith. That is trusting in Jesus. So this morning, as we uh, wrap up our time, let's just sit with these questions. How is Jesus inviting you to trust in him today? How is Jesus inviting you to trust him today? How might Jesus be inviting you to get out of the boat in order to move towards him? Are there places in your life that your heart says ghost, but actually Jesus is present there saying, it's me, it's me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I want to invite the worship team up. Uh, We just want to take a few, I've said a lot of words, but what ultimately matters is that each of us is hearing from God's spirit And so we want to just create space in our worship service just for a few moments, just for you to interact with God, right? Maybe just to pray or just to sit silently. Maybe an image or a word or something is nudging on your heart as we've had our time today. Just pay attention to that. You might sit with these questions or maybe there's something else that God wants to say to you. So let's just have this time to interact with God's Spirit.
Lord, thank you that you are the God that says, it is me. Take courage. Take heart. Don't be afraid. God, help us to receive those words this morning. And I pray that you would help us to be a church that receives these words. So that not by our own might, we could, not by our own strength, but through faith and through trusting you, we could step out of the boat into your work in this hurting and broken world. And we pray these things in the steadfast, loving name of Jesus. Amen. Let's rise and let's say our sending prayer as we leave from here. As we pull that up, um, Pastor Grace, uh, myself, Jessica will be available at the front. If any of you just want to pray, you know, if there's something that you're needing prayer for or just want to talk or care, we would love to do that. We'll just be sitting up in the front. You can just approach us. And Pastor Ted will be out in the lobby um, to greet any of you and talk to you there as well. All right. Uh, Let's say our sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. So go in peace, friends. Feel free to come up just to receive prayer or to talk to someone. Um, We hope to see you next week.